This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here in, in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, Food for the Hungry and Hope International University. I bring you a podcast to help you get better at the craft of preaching in hopes that your character will always lead the way. Well, I hope you had an incredible Easter. And as we look ahead, what is coming up next? Friends, Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Do you have a plan? Um, I think it's one of the hardest weekends to preach uh, because we all know there are some moms who um, are just walking through a really, really difficult season, um, some who long to be moms, um, and, and, and sometimes just even knowing how to start the message can be tricky. And I'm grateful again for my friends are preaching today. Uh, they have incredible articles, incredible, uh, sermons, um, that can really help spark and inspire you as you prepare to serve, uh, the women in your congregation well this Mother's Day. Um, today I'm excited because we get to learn from the one, the only Addison Bevere. Next week, he has a new book dropping called Words with God. And the whole premise of the book is how do you have words with God when it seems like he doesn't want to have words with you? And you've probably had those moments as a preacher. You, you, you've you like, I need a word. I need an idea. I need God help bring some revelation to this passage. And I'm excited because we get to dive in and you're going to learn about this book. I think this book is fantastic. I think uh, this book is something that could easily uh, be turned into a three-week, four-week, five-week sermon series. Um, and you're going to hear more. It's like built around these kind of three premises, the, the canyon, the temple, and the dance. And, and each of them um, just could be taught out for a week or two. But I'll tell you what, this um, this guy, Addison, is just special. And so without further ado, welcome the one, the only, Addison Bevere. Addison Bevere, welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. We've we've had the privilege to like be around each other a few different times yeah. um, with the the legend Brad Lominick. But mm. and every time I leave your presence, um, there's just been this spirit that you have that I'm like, I want. There's been wow. days where I've like been pulling into my driveway after a hard day and I look at my phone and you've sent me a text that was a prayer that has just like resonated to the deepest parts of my soul. And so when um, I heard you were writing a book on prayer, um, a book entitled words with God, I, I was like, number one, I have to read it. Number two, you've embodied this for me. Mm. And number three, just as a preacher, um, pastor who wants to get better at prayer, but also wants to get help his people get better at prayer. I was like, man, I think we need this resource. So bro, thanks for joining us on the Crafty Character Podcast. 
come on, man. It's an honor. And um, likewise, the moments that I've spent with you, they've left me marked. And I, I said this, I'm going to say this. I hope you're okay with me saying this. I sent this to you in a text, but I was with a buddy um, over the Christmas holiday. And somehow, I don't know how it happened, but he brought up your name. Mm. And he, he, he talked about a moment that he had with you. It was at some conference and you were doing something behind the scenes. You were just serving, loving on people. And he walked up to you and y'all just engaged in conversation. Um, and the way that you loved him and honored him and saw him spoke volumes to him because you had ministered to him in other seasons. Um, and just the fact that you're the same person. Every time I've been with you, you're the same person wherever you are. And I love and I respect that about you. And I think that's the wholeness. That's the integration that we're called to enjoy and pursue as the children of God. And it's such a gift to the people around us. And I just, I want to thank you, Carter, for who you are, man. It's an honor to be on the show. And you are, a bro, you're a masterful, masterful communicator, masterful. And uh, so the fact that this message has spoken to you or prayer has spoken to you, man, um, it's an honor. Well, thank you, bro. I appreciate that. And definitely the love is mutual. But uh, dude, th- this this book, though, I it, it, it's fascinating because it really you have like a, a like this really deep question. Um, we were talking and you you were you were marked by a question that that just has captured you. Um, and it's a play on words around the words with God. Say the question and 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 then the real like origin story of why you needed to write this book. Yeah. So the book's Words with God, Trading Boring, Empty Prayer for Real Connection. And the title Words with God, it has it has dual meaning. So first it's, hey, how do we have words with God? What's the right way to commune with God? What's the right way to connect with God? That's the first meaning. The second meaning is maybe a little bit more audacious. It's how do we have words with God? Like, how do we bring our frustration, our challenges to the one who is holy? What does that look like? What does it mean to wrestle with God? And for me, Carter, ever since I was young, I remember being a kid, standing in my backyard, not kidding. Because I would hear people say, man, like God spoke to me. God said this. Or I was in prayer the other day and God said this. I'd be like, man. This has never happened to me. Like, like what, what, what's happening? Like, why, why aren't I hearing these things? And I remember, um, remember being outside, looking up into the heavens, looking at these clouds passing by, and just yelling and be like, God, I want to hear your voice. Like, I want to know your voice. I want you to speak to me. And, um, and the prayer, I expected like a loud, audible voice to just come out of the heavens, right? Um, but that didn't happen. However, I do believe that those prayers, even from a very young age, I believe that they formed and shaped my life um, and a desire and a pursuit that, that has been a big part of my journey with God and wrestling with God to, to hear God, to engage with God, to be intimate with God. And, and the question that drove me um, to write this book and drove me into the process that brought me to the book is the question of how do we have words with God when it feels like or it seems like he doesn't want to have words with us? Mm. And the more I talk to people about prayer, one of the hangups for them is that. Um, I was talking to one of my buddies and he said to me, this was, I actually put this in the book, um, but we were talking and he had felt like God let him down 
in a really big moment in his life that he had cried out to God for an answer. And it was, it was an important answer. And he feels like he got that wrong. And God just kind of left him out there to get it wrong. And he, he grew up in a, in a you know, pretty, like, quote unquote, typical Christian home, deconstructed his faith, um, became disillusioned with the idea of church, all of that. And we were having this conversation. He just said, Addison, he said, God is the only one who gets away with expecting you to show up for a conversation daily that he refuses to show up for. Wow. He said, he said if anyone else did that to me, I'd be done. He's like, I've given God months. I've given God years to show up and he hasn't shown up for me. And there's this desire, Carter, we all do. We have this desire to commune with our creator, to be intimate with him. And um, that's why the first, the first section of the book, it's called, it's called, it's called the Canyon. And it's, it's this idea that we have to journey into the Canyon and the Canyon. uh, I'm sure you've done this before, but when you're in a Canyon, it's fun to manipulate the sound of your voice. You hear it coming back to you, the reverberations, but after a little while, you're just talking to yourself and that's kind of boring. (laughs) And, And when it, when it comes to prayer, I think you can feel like we're just we're just yelling into a canyon, and and maybe maybe we hear something, but is that just an echo of our own voice? Is that just a reflection of our own desires, our own pursuit? Like, how do we know we're connecting with God, we're communing with God? And um, and the truth the truth of the matter is, and as I've wrestled this down, I've had so many conversations with people. One of the reasons why we struggle to hear the voice of God is we look for God's voice, we look for um, the way he communicates his tone, his tenor in the voice of the accuser. You Ooh, see the, talk, talk, yeah, talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah. 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 So the voice of the accuser is loud. It's persistent. It comes after us. Um, it tears us down. I think about Jesus's moment of baptism, right? He has this beloved sonship declared over him by the father. And then he's led to the wilderness by the spirit. And what's the first thing that the accuser says to him? If you're really, if you're really the son of God, do something practical. Make something of your life. Like, do something miraculous. Do something spectacular. And it's like we look for God's leading, his guiding, his directing from that voice, from that tone. And I think so much of the journey into silence, and I mean, all the great mystics and the saints, like they, they'll talk about the dark night of the soul. They'll talk about the journey into silence. The journey into the silence is really about unlearning the voice of the accuser. Wow. It's about laying down our misconceptions about God, about communication, about connection, because the reality is words with God is more than just words. It's a union. It's a communion that embodies every part of who we are. And um, for me personally, I had a period of five years where I um, I navigated insomnia, I mean, regular insomnia. A good night of sleep for me was four hours. That was like I'm doing I'm doing something good tonight. I got four hours, which is not healthy. Um, some nights I didn't sleep at all, and I would wake up typically between 2 and 3 a.m. And my heart would just be pounding. I would be sweating. And I wouldn't even know what was going on. Um, And it was a combination of things. Life hit me in different ways. My health, um, my professional life, some some key relationships. It was just a lot of different things. Just life seemed to hit me. 
And I felt profoundly disoriented. And during that season, it felt largely like God had gone silent. And I remember toward, uh, it was actually toward the end of this season, about a year from the end of this five year period, I was sitting with a group of friends and my wife, Julie and I, we had had three couples over and we were sitting around in a circle and everyone was talking about what God was doing in their lives and they were crying and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there and I just feel nothing. I just, I don't feel anything. And Julie and I are hosting the evening and Julie wants me to share. I'm refusing to share. Like I'm just sitting there. I'm like, listen, I, I'm not the kind of person who can just say something that I, I, that I don't mean. And so I'm just sitting there keeping quiet. And then finally, the room got really awkward. Like everyone was waiting for me to share in order for the night to be done. And I did not want to share. And finally, Carter, I was like, all right, fine. God, you want me to share? I'm going to share. And I told him, I said, listen, I haven't felt or experienced any kind of emotion or like the presence of God or anything for at least two years. I haven't felt any of it. Like I hear what y'all are talking about. I'm so glad that y'all are seeing these, you know, these signs of God's faithfulness and goodness. And I just went there with them and, you know, bless their hearts. Like they didn't rationalize it. They didn't explain it away. They just, they just prayed for me. They laid their hands on me. They prayed for me. They encouraged me. And it was a few months later that I woke up one morning and I literally could not get out of bed. Mm. I felt like all my systems were shutting down. Um, and I finally, after I was like, there's something wrong. Like my wife was like, you've got, we, something has to change. Like your body's literally like breaking down and shutting down. This is not okay. Mm. Um, and I, I promised like I would get help. I promised that I would go away. I promised that I would surrender to silence and I would begin this period of healing. And that's what, that's what happened. Now I share the whole story in chapter two of the book. Gee. Of, of how of how God met me there. Um, and I had this crazy moment where the presence of God just fell on me. Um, and I felt this incredible warmth and this sense of being known and being seen and that reality that God had never left me. And it hit me so hard. And I I finally, I used to be so OCD about my bedtime routine. Like, dude, I, I would have to have the curtains perfect, the pillows perfect, the sheets perfect. I couldn't have my last glass of water past a, a certain point because that might wake me up and they don't want to be able to fall back to sleep. I had to take the right pills at the right time. Some of them were more natural. Some of them were less natural. I mean, dude, I was taking everything to try to sleep, okay? And it all had to be perfect. And that night, I just went to bed. I went to bed at like 8 o'clock. I didn't wake up until 7 a.m. And that was so different for me. And I, and I share that story. And what happened after that actually became the catalyst and the invitation um, for me to write this book. So, No, it's, that chapter is, um, it's just so personal and weighty. Um, but I love that you talk about the canyon and the second whole section or part of the book is, is known as the temple. And the third part is known as the dance. And, you know, as a, as a preacher, I'm always looking for, okay, again, how do I teach my people about prayer? But also, yeah. you know, when it comes to um, even messages, you know, I think for a long time, you know, kind of people get into this whole, you know, pray without ceasing and, um, you know, and so it's like, I'm studying and I'm sort of praying as I'm writing this message. And, 
But then you get around other people and the way that they pray in their prep and they pray in their life um, really is an embodiment of a pray without ceasing. It's like there are people who can um, spend time in the silence and they can experience um, seeing the kingdom, you know, as you yeah. talk about yeah. in part two of the temple and, and, and they really begin to enjoy the dance um, even when it, it re invites you into confession um, and other kind of practices that you write about. And and as I was kind of just, and you have a really great writing style that I think is um, one, I'm drawn in to, it's like so scripturally and theologically rich, um, which I super enjoy, but it's also accessible and it's preachable, which that's some of my favorites, you know, because you're like, Ooh, I can see a sermon series here. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I just even like just words with God as a sermon series and then walking people through the canon, walking yeah. people to the temple, helping mm. people enjoy the dance. And I feel like that could be two or three weeks, like just on the dance itself, because some of the practices at which you mm -hmm. um, kind of roll out, but um, talk about how, because you preach, you speak, you, you know, you're leading, how does prayer and words with God, how has it shaped your crafting of messages? Yeah, I, um, something really hit me. I was, I was flying to Mexico city to speak at an event and, um, and I was in prayer leading up to it. And, and God gave me two, I was speaking three times and God gave me two of the messages in, in the, in the usual fashion. And, um, and there was a third message and it was the Friday night message and, and God just wouldn't give it to me. He, he wouldn't get, and I, I'm on the plane flying to Mexico city and I'm speaking that night. And for me, like, that's not my style. I, I am a planner. Like this, this is very, I know there's some people just get up there and they do it. Uh, that's not me. And so I remember praying and being on that plane and the spirit made so clear to me, like, look, my focus for this message is actually you as the messenger. Like that's, that's the focus. That's your preparation. And I think it's so easy for us as communicators to get caught up on the words that we communicate and forget that it's the spirit, it's the tone, it's the delivery, it's the anointing, it's the grace that comes from the spirit that, that reshapes our words and transforms them in surprising and delightful ways as, as they, as they hit the people who are receiving them. And I was, I was speaking at a, a men's event this past summer and I was speaking on prayer it was actually the first time that I spoke on a subject from words with God. It was the first time. And I, and I was, I was teaching out of something that I wrote in, in the final chapter of the book. And I remember going up there and just praying before the service. And this wasn't like a charismatic church or anything like that. It was a you know, pretty conservative church. But I remember just standing there and just praying, just saying like, come Holy spirit. And, and the room the guys in the room, this, this Friday night was, it was a men's event. Just something happened as we created space for God to move in their lives. And there was a, there was a gentleman there who his wife had made him go to the service. She had recently given her life uh, to Jesus and she made him go to the service. And he was so rocked by that moment. Not even something, I, what I shared in the message 
reinforce what had happened in that moment, but it was that moment that set the stage, that space, that, that, that encounter. And going back to what you shared about like the idea of praying ceaselessly, um, you know, Paul in Romans 12, 12 and first Thessalonians 5, 17, he, he tells us to pray constantly. Ephesians 6, he says, pray in the spirit at all times. Like there's, there's this language in 2 Corinthians 13, the final, his final words is made the communion of the spirit, like be with you always. Like, there's this always and constant language. And the truth is our idea of prayer, our construct for prayer doesn't create space for that. Yeah. So clearly our construct, our idea of prayer has to be wrong if scripture is telling us that there is a living prayer that we can embody, that we can enjoy, that we can share. And so one of the chapters in the book is called Opening, Opening the Conversation. Mm-hmm. This idea of what does it mean to open the conversation? What does it mean to let prayer out of the proverbial closet and into every moment of our lives? And the truth is, Carter, so much of it is awareness. So much of it is listening. So much of it is a yielding, is a sensitivity to what God is doing there in that person, in that moment. We, when we look at, for instance, like our thought life, like we spend more time thinking than we do speaking. And yet so often we don't view our thought life as a holy ground for prayer, as a space for the spirit to take our worries and concerns and transform them into requests. Like when, when we start to see that and we start, okay, that worry, that concern, boom, that's going to turn into a request. And then we ask to become aware. And so we articulate that ask, even if it's not with our mouth, in our mind, with our heart, we articulate it. And then we start to see the connectedness of life. We start to see how the spirit is moving. We start to become more aware of the others around us. And there's a, one of the big ideas of like being people who pursue and cultivate and, um, and embody, which is a crazy idea, but embody the holiness of God, the otherness of God, which is a reflection, which is an outpouring of who he is, his essential nature, is actually by recognizing the, the otherness in the people around us, the beauty in the people around us. Literally, the word holy in, in, in Hebrew, kadosh, it, it literally means other. It means something that's beyond our point of reference. It's something that we have to access something different in order to see it. It's so far. And that's why the the angels, the seraphim, as they're encountering the otherness, the beauty of God, the majesty of God in places like Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, they're crying, holy, 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 because that's really all they can articulate is the beauty, the otherness, the majesty of God. And it's, it's amazing that he's, he's designed us, he's created us to participate in that, in the cultivating of that. And, and we do that through prayer. We do that through the surrender and prayer. We start to see people different. We start to see moments differently. And the final movement of the book, as you mentioned, is the dance, is how it moves from the canyon through the temple. And the temple is, it's radical, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 6, it says, we are God's temple. Mm-hmm. Like God does business in and through us. Like what seems profane, what seems unholy is actually the dwelling place of the eternal spirit. The one who hovers over creation, the one who quickens our hearts and our lives, the power of forgiveness and reconciliation. Like that's what it is to be temple people now. 
the temple literally was the microcosm where heaven met earth. And so for Jesus to say, hey, you know, tear this down in three days, I'll build it back up. He's saying, I'm relocating the work of the kingdom. You've tried to limit it to this small place in time. I'm going to show what the kingdom is really all about, which is about this pervasion of every part of our lives. And that's what we're called to know. That's what we're called to share. That's what we're called to enjoy. And that can only happen through a prayer that is let out of the transactional, singular, I do this, God does that box and moves into our everyday lives. Well, what I love about that, because as you move from the canyon into the temple, and I, and, and again, I love that you just made that so plain. And, and because some people could think, oh, the temple, it's like, you know, when the accuser took them, like, no, no, you're talking about how, gosh, like heaven and earth meet um, here in this body, the temple, yeah. the Holy Spirit. And like, like that's in us. But then your first chapter out in the, of part three of the dance um, is called the integrator. And, and again, it's, it's, it, I, it was one of my favorite chapters that I read because I think how you move it so beautifully through the canyon to the temple, and then you start moving into the dance. I believe it's a couple chapters even after that, then you have, well, then how do we ask? Because when you're in that dance, you, you you have the opportunity. So talk about, because I think for some people are like, well, if I'm in this like embodied, like flow with the Lord and the spirit, um, what does asking? And, and, I, yeah. and I, and again, I love, I love like how you said, um, it's a construct problem that we've got to break down and get back to, man, how are we communing with the spirit yeah. on the regular? But talk yeah. about that asking. Cause I think that's a, it's a really, really important thing because I feel like that's, you know, I always say leaders ask why questions. Um, yeah. Our congregants are asking how questions. Mm. And I think they, I think our congregations are asking, well, how do I have words with God? Mm. And when, to your point, when it feels like God doesn't want to have words with me, how, yeah. how do I ask? How do I do, how do I live in the canyon well and walk into the silence? Well, you do that yeah. so beautifully. How, how, how do I see myself, the temple? How do I make space for Kadosh, the holiness of God? How, how do I ask? So help people, um, with understanding, because I think that chapter was was just fire. Thank you. I love that chapter. That is one of my favorite chapters because it makes it practical. Yes, it makes it real, and and that's the big idea. So I'll share I'll share a story. So I, my parents, travel, speak, minister. So I I grew up in that world. Uh, both of my parents have been doing ministry for forty years, and so that's that's what I've largely and that's all I've known for most of my life. Okay, um, so. I, I was a part of many different church camps because they would travel and speak to many different churches. So it would be very conservative and fundamental churches all the way to some charismatic and everything in between. And I'm not saying those are the only two sides of the spectrum, but you understand what I'm saying. And so I saw a lot of different things. I experienced a lot of different church cultures. I and mean, we would literally drive in our car from Orlando, Florida, all the way up the East coast, all the way into Canada. That that's, that's what like, and they would speak, they would stop and speak at these small churches all the way up. And that's how we would spend our summer break. Like that's, that was our summer break. So, um, so I saw a lot of different things and, and there was a specific camp that I saw that I was a part of where, um, 
they put too much emphasis on asking God for stuff. Mm. And it's almost like the stuff became what it was all about, right? Like whatever the thing is, and it felt materialistic. It felt wrong. It just felt strange. And I remember even as a young man thinking, you know what? Like, I'm not going to be someone who does that. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to ask God for stuff. I'm just going to trust that God's going to do what he needs to do. Like he's an all powerful God. If he wants to take care of it, he's going to take care of it. And I'm only going to ask for things if it's like super holy or for someone else. And I remember what happened, Carter, is my, um, my prayer life started to shrink up. And it just, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a part of who I was. It just like, it was just this thing that I did every once in a while. And I remember I was, I was in my mid-20s at this point. And, um, and I, my wife and I, we had just moved into our first home. And I really wanted, I really wanted a lawnmower. We had a patch of grass that was maybe like 15 feet by 10 feet. I mean, it was tiny, but I wanted a lawnmower. And I, I was obsessed with lawnmowers when I was a little kid. My mom told me I used to walk around like pushing this fake lawnmower for hours a day. So somehow that stuck with me um, into my adult life. Uh, but I just wanted a lawnmower. Well, we were house poor. We had put all of our money into this house. We didn't have a sofa to sit on. We didn't have window treatment. So we, we had a bed. We had a mattress on the floor. I mean, that was it. We didn't have anything. And so buying a lawnmower was definitely low on the list of priorities. And, uh, and I remember I was walking through Lowe's one day and I was just thinking, you know what? I'm going to get a lawnmower. Like I'll work this out relationally with Julie later. We'll, we'll get through this. There might be a day or two of difficulty, but we'll make it. And I remember walking through, through Lowe's and I was looking at these lawnmowers and it was like early April and the lawnmowers were, I mean, they were on display. They were selling the lawnmowers. And I remember the spirit whisper to me in this moment, ask me for a lawnmower. And I was like, what? Now, I'm really bad at asking for stuff. So I knew this wasn't me. Like, ask you for a lawnmower. I was like, okay. And I just remember quietly praying under my breath. I was like, Father, would you please give me a lawnmower? I don't even know if I said amen or anything. It, It was a very informal prayer. I walked out of Lowe's, okay? I'm not kidding you. Two days later. It was either two or three days later. I think I put three days in the book, but I think it was actually two. I just didn't want to overstate. Two or three days later, I get a call from a friend that I had talked to in over a year. And he called me and he said, hey, Addison, I'm uh, I'm moving to Florida and I can't, and I just got this brand new lawnmower and I can't bring it with me. I was about to sell it on Craigslist and I just sensed in my spirit, I was supposed to call you and offer it to you. Is there like, would there be any reason why you would need a lawnmower? And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I started freaking out. And he was like, dude, it's a, like his $200 lawnmower. Like, what, like what's going on? But for me in that moment, my ask, articulating the ask, made me aware of God's faithfulness and his goodness and his desire to be a part of every part of my life. And there's a reason why Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, teaches us to pray for daily bread. I mean, that's the most basic sustenance, Right. But what Jesus wants us to understand is we're transitioning from these big ideas of our father in heaven and kingdom and his will to the material, to the everyday where the rubber meets the road. And we ask, we articulate our asks to become aware, to see what God is doing. Now, I've heard this from so many people, but okay, do I just pray 
God's will be done? Or do I pray specifically, like ask for a specific thing when I pray to God? Which one do I do? And, I, and, I've, and I've struggled with this. Like, how do we train our people to engage God through prayer, prayer in those moments? And, uh, and the Spirit took me to the moment of Gethsemane. And I noticed, Carter, there are three dimensions to the way Jesus prayed. And these three dimensions are an essential part of every prayer. The first part is he was specific. He said, hey, if there's any way, please, this cup could pass. if there's any way, please. Number two, he was steadfast. He prayed again and again and again. And sometimes it's the process of prayer that prepares us, creates the capacity for us to receive what we're asking for. We think we're ready to receive it, but we might not be ready. And it's the process that prepares us to receive it. And the third thing is he was surrendered. Not my will, but yours be done. If we can bring those three elements, those dimensions into prayer, we will have a mature prayer life. But for most of us, we pray vague prayers. And it's not that God can't do anything with vague prayers. He can. But the problem is we're not going to be aware. We're not going to see the faithfulness of God. We're not going to be able to connect the dots. And we're not going to realize that even now in this moment, we are living in answered prayers that we have forgotten about. And so that's that's what mm. I would, sh- and I break it down in that, I mean, you know, yeah, I break yeah. it down in that chapter and go deeper into it, but it's those three things, specific, surrendered, and steadfast. You bring those three into prayer, then you can have the boldness and the tenacity to go after it and ask God and contend for specific outcomes while also surrendering. Like we don't like the tension. So we're either or, right? We're we're, we're the camp. All we do is pray God's will be done. We're the camp over here. We're going to demand and God better do exactly what we tell him to do. Otherwise, he's not good. And the truth is, scripture invites us to pray according to God's will and also to ask specifically. And there's formation in both of those. No, man, I think it's so really so powerful because, you know, I really resonate with with how you were raised. Um, I mean, in the in in your understanding of prayer. Um, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so I didn't have the the traveling during the summers to different camps, but, you know, I think along the way, I thought, well, if God's really for me, won't my prayer and my ask and my request seem like I don't have faith in him and trust in him. And again, kids are very perceptive. They're just crappy interpreters of reality. And so like, I think it's just my little terrible theology. And then it wasn't until a mentor was like, that's, that's actually not good. Like, that's not actually true. Like he wants to know, like he wants, like, tell me some relationship that you can't talk about what you need and what you long for. And yeah, bring that trust and that faithfulness or in your language, that, that, that steadfastness. Like, I think it's so, so important, but what's amazing about your Lowe's, um, lawnmower story too. And I think this is sometimes like where we, we, we forget is let's, let's play it out. And you don't pray that prayer. Yeah. Okay. So you, you go and you, you buy a $250 lawnmower, you know, you and Julie get into it a little bit. Like, you know, you, you gotta kind of get through that. But, but what ends up happening is like, you maybe miss that moment of your friend's faith being stretched and shaped and formed yeah. And, and and I remember this one time, like when we were living in Grand Rapids and we had this, um, 
we were going to move to California for like a new assignment in ministry. And, and I was praying our house would, would sell. And my wife was praying that the right family would move into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 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 no. We don't care who buys our house. <laughs> don't, don't get all like good, like holy, like we just need someone to buy our house. Um, yeah. And she's like, no, no, no. Like I want the right couple who's going to come in and, and love our neighbors and mm-hmm. continue the spirit. Like, I just remember, I'm like, Dad, that is a different kind of request. And, and I, and it hit me. I just had a vague prayer, just, just sell, just like, just whoever, whatever, like, but then the specific, like the specificity of the right. Yeah. And I just, I think how you write that, like you reclaimed for me, um, mm-hmm. the importance of the specifics and that tension. And I think that's really just important. What I also love is in that book is you, you don't just like, okay, because I think a lot of people would have just ended with that chapter because it is so practical. Then I feel like you um, you go into a whole other gear and you get into like confession and sin. And then you're like, so it's like how you ask. And then it's like, now we're like, I thought we were like ending here. And then it was like, Oh, we, we're going back down a little bit and, and you start to take people before you lift it back up. But like, I just, I really appreciated, um, just the, the weightiness of it. I mean, again, theologically rich, even if you're just listening right now, you're, you, he, my man's like quoting from Isaiah to, to, you know, first Corinthians, like he's all over the place, like, um, and it's so beautiful, but then the accessibility, you, you you get these three S's, the, the, the storytelling, this, I'm just saying, this is a book that can be preached. This is a, a series that can be preached. This is a book that I think, um, and maybe even for the summer at your church that, you know, you, you want, I mean, can you just imagine your congregations if they knew what to do in the Canyon and they could see the temple, they could see like, oh my goodness, I, I have this, this ability to have to see the kingdom, to, to open up my life, my temple to the conversations with, with the Holy God. And, and, and now like going this beautiful dance in my everyday life of interacting with the Kadosh, the, the Holy, Holy, Holy God. Um, so can you just imagine if your people knew how to do that? Like think about going into the fall, what your, what your church might just B. Um, I mean, I just, I, it, I, I'm, I'm like thinking about this, like just, wow, what this could mean for our church. Um, talk about your hope for this book. Cause oftentimes we, you know, when we write, like there's, there's, there's a question, like we have this ache and you, you name that ache words with God, but what happens if we don't feel like God wants to have words with us, but also we mm-hmm. have like a desire, like what's your desire? Addison, that you you hope for as as someone who picks up this book or a pastor who picks up this book. What's your what's your hope? Yeah. Well, I think I think so much of what we experience, we experience the effects of disintegration. The effects, like even if you look at the idea of what disintegration is, it's it's a a whole being broken into parts, and we don't know how to put the pieces back together. And the idea of the gospel is is shalom which is integration. It's bringing it back together. God and man, man and man. That's 
That's the, that's the good news of the gospel. God is reconciling the world to himself. And we get to be a part of that story, that journey of reconciliation, um, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. And so for, for me, it's, it's that. It's people experiencing the effects of integration in their lives. People realizing that prayer isn't just something that we do. It is a part, it is an outflow of who we are. Um, one of the early reviewers of this book, um, he leads a he leads a seminary and he messaged me and he said, he said, Addison, he said, I believe this book is going to take people and take people from just being people who pray to being praying people, mm-hmm. where people live and they embody prayer. It's not just transactional. It's not just something that happens over here. Look, what we're seeing in our world today with the movement toward mindfulness and the effects of busyness and distraction and all of this. All of that is is a shadow form of the robustness of prayer. But because we've turned prayer into this transactional thing that only happens over here, we haven't entered the silence. We haven't understood the power of listening. We haven't understood the, the reality of God wanting to be involved in every part of our lives. Like every part of this is a space that he can inhabit. Like there's this, there's this bit in and the, the letter of Hebrews, where it talks about how Jesus traveled through the heavens. He's traveled through every single space. There's no space that the high priest hasn't occupied and interceded in. Like when we really get that, then it's like, man, the lie of the separation, the lie of disintegration. This is why Jesus looked at them in John 16 and says, it's better for you that I go away. And the integrator is the Holy Spirit. Just you, you yes, brought that chapter. Yes. The Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us all together. We've made the Holy Spirit something weird in certain camps and stuff. And, and there is a truth to the holiness of, the, of God's Spirit that is beyond our understanding. And at times, that can feel weird. But the reality is the Holy Spirit is the one who brings it all together. That's why Jesus looked at him and said, hey, y'all don't do anything. Don't start your ministries. Don't start your churches. Don't do anything until you have encountered the Spirit. And that's why he said to them, look, I'm going to breathe in. I'm going to breathe my spirit into you. And as you breathe in this spirit, you will be able to breathe out forgiveness and reconciliation. I think so much of the fragmentation, the disintegration that we experience in this world and that the church, we, the church, we participated in is because we really haven't breathed in the integrative power of the spirit of God, that we haven't experienced that here. This hasn't become a real part of our everyday lives. We haven't opened the conversation, inviting God into the most mundane and ordinary parts of our lives. And because of that, we don't know how to share it. We don't know how to give it to the world. We don't know how to make it real flesh in our everyday lives. So that that that's a long answer. Um, no, no. But that's my passion, man. Oh. That's my hope. Because God wants to connect with people. And it's more it's more than just what we think of when we think of words. Yeah. It's so it's so much more than words. It's every every sense, it's every part of what we are. And it's not new age. Like that's all of that is just stolen material. Like some like, like we need to realize that like it is a complete experience for us to be in tune with the spirit of God. Yeah. And and as we reclaim that, as we explore that, as we realize that even in the silence God speaks, in silence and sound the word speaks we start to look at life very differently. Yeah. Well, I love how you talk about the the disintegration, right? And and I love how you talk about the the robust good news of the gospel. And what's amazing is that that last supper 
uh, Jesus takes some bread and, and, and he, there's this, just this moment that he says, do this in remembrance yeah. in me. Yeah. Like every, every time you, you hold this bread, you receive this bread, you drink this cup, uh, do this in remembrance. And, and another way of like saying disintegration is dismemberment. Mm. And there's been parts that have been dismembered. And, mm. and when we remember, we are like reattaching, reintegrating mm. our life into wow. the heart of the gospel, which is, which is at the, the heart of this temple, at the heart of this dance, at the heart of the silence, at the heart of prayer. And, and again, I think, man, you, you've just offered up my friend, um, a really incredible invitation. Um, and I, 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 I don't, I don't think I can say it better than that seminary, um, president, um, not just a book on prayer so that people can learn about prayer, but man, that people could actually embody, um, what a, a praying church and a praying congregation and a praying person and a praying like apprentice of Jesus actually looks like. And, um, man, I'm just so proud of you, you know, Thanks, um, bro. you know, I, I, <laughs> I probably one maybe cause I grew up on the West coast. Like, um, I don't, I didn't know your parents. Like I knew you. And then someone was like, Oh dude, that, that's, you know, his parents. I was like, I don't, I, I, <laughs> I and we, I just, like, yeah. I didn't run in the same streams. Yeah. And I just love that my first interaction was you and I've now come to like follow your parents and got to like, never met them, but like got to uh, see their work. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. But like, I just love that my first like hmm. Bevere interaction was with you <laughs> and just to, to see the legacy, but also see the sweetness and to see the, the wisdom but also to see like, you've got like, like, I wish we don't do video. And so, but I wish you could see this man's hands that are moving and just like <laughs> his, his smile and his joy. But like you, 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 when you, when you're around him, like you have his focus and you have like his presence. Um, and there's just a weightiness, um, when you're around wow. as in Bavaria. And so, bro, I'm just praying over this book. Um, I'm praying that even like congregations, because people who listen to this podcast are, you know, in some incredible countries around the world, places you've been to, um, but um, amazing churches in the States and in Canada and um, Central America, South America, Europe, um, Australia, beyond, like the, the reach is amazing. And, um, but I think what we're also seeing at Asbury, we're seeing like this, this heart of revival. We're seeing, I think people are like, man, I, I want to be able to access that. And I, I think this yeah. book for such a time as this is wow. going to be a gift. And so for all you pastors out there, get it. Um, it drops April 18th. And I just think, man, get it, get it for yourself. Just get it for yourself. But then also, um, I think this is one of those books that could be an incredible, incredible summer series that leads into the fall to shape your people. Um, but Addison, thanks so much for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast, bro. Big fan of you. Where can people find you? Yeah, thank you, Carter. Um, always enjoy the time with you. Uh, so I would say wordswithgod.org, addisonbevere.com. I mean, those are places where they can learn more about the book, obviously available wherever books are sold. Uh, audiobook, I do read the audiobook um, as well. That comes out. And then also it comes out in Spanish. Uh, April 18th as well. Yeah, I was really, really excited about that. So a Spanish publisher picked it up early and um, is releasing at the same time as the English. 
So April 18th, and then pretty much the only only social that I'm on, which I'm not on very often, is Instagram. Instagram. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, dude, that's a that's a that's a huge huge vote of confidence uh, for a Spanish publication publisher to say right away, I'm going to do it. So um, that speaks volumes of your character and volumes of people's excitement around this book, man. Well, bro, Thank proud you. of you, grateful for you and uh, look forward to connecting in the mountains soon with Come you on. again. Me too. Well, thanks so much for tuning into the Crafting Character Podcast. I'm so excited for um, just the conversations we get to have. I'm grateful for preaching today. Um, I'm grateful for Food for the Hungry, who's just doing amazing work throughout the globe. And if you're a church that's wanting to get involved um, with really seeing communities um, throughout our world renewed and restored and empowered, uh, I've seen it firsthand up close in the Dominican Republic. I'm heading back there um, in the month of May. I cannot wait. And I'll just tell you straight up, it's one of the best organizations I've ever seen up close. So if you ever love to learn more, please never hesitate to reach out. My email is steve at steveryancarter.com. But friends, thank you so much for your continued support and for tuning in to the Craft and Character Podcast. I hope you have a great, great week. Grace and peace. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.